This is an irreverent podcast. Check out irreverent.fm for shows from all our friends. everybody welcome back to exvangelical my guest this week is luke barnett he is the writer and star of the upcoming movie faith-based welcome to the show luke hey man thanks for having me thanks for coming on uh, it was very uh, interesting to to learn about this project um <laughs> we're talking on a super slow news day uh today is october 2nd 2020 and uh, <laughs> we just learned uh this morning that trump has covid and really, the perfect I'm, <laughs> time for us to be pr- promoting our movie. There's nothing else in the news right now. Like, <laughs> right? As if I, to be honest, it's almost as if I couldn't, I couldn't dislike Trump more, and then all of a sudden he like ruins the week of my movie coming out by <laughs> by taking up the news with his disease. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's just, it's just, it's been a, it's been a, a wild day. Um, but I'm super happy that I, like it's the afternoon and we've. We've all probably aged like two years, just yeah. uh, just even absorbing the news of the last week. Uh, it's and about even to be today. a two p.m. happy hour for me. <laughs> it's about to go into go into happy yeah. hour mode. Exactly. So, uh, but nonetheless, it's it's great to talk to you about this this movie. It's uh, a comedy take on the Christian film industry. Uh, before, but before we get into the movie proper, I'd like to hear a little bit more about you and your. And your background, that's where we usually like to start on the show. Um, so if you could, just tell us a little bit about yourself. You mentioned um, just when we were sort of exchanging emails, arranging this call, that that you are a PK, so you do have some sort of background in Christianity. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, I was a, yeah, my dad was a pastor, but my dad was kind of a, I guess what they consider, for most of my life, my dad was an interim pastor. So he would basically... Uh, work a full-time job. He, he uh, you know, drove a delivery truck uh, just so I, we could kind of like uh, afford to have a nice life. And um, and then he would kind of fill in whenever one of his, I think he was Wesleyan. And so one, whenever one of those pastors would need a month off or something, uh, my dad would kind of be the fill-in pastor throughout most of the time that I was growing up. But yeah, when I, um, I started going to Christian school in kindergarten and I went to kind of mm-hmm quintessential evangelical American Grace Brethren Christian School in Maryland. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, I, it was basically anyone who's seen the movie Saved has, has pretty much seen a firsthand account of my school from kindergarten through senior year. Um, but you know what? It's funny. I, going to this super tiny Christian school, um, I think at the time I would have moments of frustration or wanting to go to a bigger public school, but I do have a, a ton of fond memories from going to such a small school because I got to be a part of so many extracurricular activity things that I later learned when you go to a really huge high school, you you don't, they're much harder to come by because so many more people right. are competing for those. So, you know, as opposed to only getting to do kind of one thing every year, I would get to 
be in all the plays and play soccer and be a part of, you know, just like all these random activities. But so, yeah, I guess, I guess my whole life I was evangelical Christian. And then when I eventually moved to Los Angeles, uh, like many people, I transitioned from kind of a more traditional church and upbringing to one of the more hipster tradition, hipster kind of liberal thinking churches out here called Mosaic, which is probably the most popular one in Los Angeles, um, and got really involved there. And, and, uh, and it's pretty much been downhill and <laughs> no, but that, no, but that just mean that's kind of, that was kind of my upbringing into, I guess, adulthood yeah. when it comes to faith. So it wasn't necessarily categorically all negative experiences or anything for you. There were edifying parts of being in this space. Definitely. Yeah. That can be one of the great benefits of those types of environments is that sure. if it's a, you know, a safe and, and good environment, then then it can encourage all of those things. Yeah. It's so interesting because a lot of the negatives I look back on now and I see at the time, I didn't even necessarily process them. Looking back now, I see a ton of negativity, but I also don't want to like forget the positivity. You know what I mean? So it's like, I can look back and, and talk about it and say, oh, this was wrong. This was wrong. I now dislike this but I also have to acknowledge, you know, the positive aspects of it. Right. Which is what can make changing your mind about it all that more bittersweet. Yeah, absolutely. I always think that's interesting in particular when I talk to PKs. Yeah. I think they have a particular insight into things like ministry and, mm-hmm. and the way religion works that a lot of people don't um, because they, they see it and it has a direct impact on their literal family life too. So. Yeah. I mean, I saw, I think one of the things looking back, I really see it as it was very much a circle. So I would, I would, I don't know from, I wouldn't consider this as much when I was a really little kid and I was a really little kid, obviously you're just kind of learning the Bible stories and it's all very, um, it's very not serious. You know what I mean? Um, I think once I became even a pre-teenager and I was definitely, I wouldn't say I was a bad kid by any means, but I was definitely one of the kids who got into a little bit of trouble and um, pushed limits when it came to uh, my dating relationships and trying smoking or trying uh, weed or trying uh, alcohol or whatever. I was definitely one of the ones that got into trying all those things. And what that did for me in the evangelical world was put me in this weird cycle where for years you would kind of go through, I'm going to go to a youth conference or I'm going to go to some sort of, you know, youth group situation. I'm going to be emotionally affected by a speaker or some sort of thing that happens at that event. I'm going to throw away all my secular CDs. I'm going to repent and cry constantly about the fact that I like touched my girlfriend's boobs and like all these things. And then all of a sudden that leads to like, no, I'm changing everything around and I'm going to dedicate my life to yeah. putting the word of God out into the world. And so then for like months, I'm in this mindset of I'm going to go on the mission trip this year and I'm going to save everybody I know and I'm going to change the world through Christ. And then slowly you get back into school, you get back with your girlfriend, you get back with the right friends and you repeat it all over again. And all of a sudden, you know, it's just this weird kind of unhealthy cycle of never being 
I think almost just being confused all the time because you're just constantly apologizing and asking God back into your heart, for lack of a better word, uh, and, until you can do it again, um, which is a really strange way to lead life when I talk to anybody that didn't grow up right. that exact same way. <laughs> I mean, that resonates with, with so many people who for sure. have grown up like this. I went to a Christian college and one of my high school roommates almost like every other week would get convicted and delete all the MP3s of all of his secular <laughs> yeah. stuff and yeah. then do this cycle. Well, I found, I found it so interesting. My wife now she's, uh, she's Jewish. She grew up in Los Angeles, very kind of non-religious. And, and I found it so interesting talking to her about this stuff, or even when we first started dating, going to kind of the church I went to in, in out in LA and, and seeing everything from the perspective of someone who wasn't told it since they were three and seeing the good, seeing what she saw as great and, the, and positive and seeing the things that she thought were totally outlandish and, and kind of crazy. And it was just very interesting to have the closest person in your life give you this sort of perspective as a, you know, 28 year old at the time person who mm-hmm. didn't grow up that way. It was, right. it was very interesting to me. Right. Yeah. Because it's so, the culture is so good at keeping you inside the culture without that sure. external perspective. So, yeah. so talk a little bit about this, about this, uh, this church mosaic and everything. Um, I mean, some, I'm, I'm not, at least it's not ringing any bells right now. I know that LA is known for having some like celebrity pastors or pastors that, that do try to evoke that type of thing that, that will attract a-list people or or sure. any, or even people that, that are just in the L.A. scene and want to be yeah. connected to that. You said that that's sort of where things began to decline. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess that, that was probably the wrong way to word it because I actually had some really great experiences at Mosaic too. But but it was interesting because for someone who grew up in a, in a very traditional evangelical Christian church, coming to uh, this church in LA was actually amazing. It was kind of a moment of like, whoa, this is what church can be like because they did have, you know, an artist painting live on stage and, and a hip hop dance group that would like open it as their art versus just the traditional praise and worship. And you had this pastor who was a phenomenal speaker, like Ted talk level speaker. Um, and so and when I first moved to LA and went there, it was actually, from my perspective, great, because it was just, a, it was way cooler than the church I grew up in, in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it, but, you know, it's funny because a lot of people who at the time even hated on some of these churches, they would call it Christianity light because he would be kind of more of a Ted talk an inspirational talk more so, more so than like diving into the old Testament. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I like that more, to be honest, like as a, as a more liberal mind, did, uh, Christian, uh, I enjoyed that more than I enjoyed kind of fire and brimstone repent sure. sort of conversation. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, I don't have like all negative things to say about those churches or mosaic, but I do think one thing I noticed and I've noticed even more so the last decade or so is they really, a lot of these churches really do put the presentation over kind of the message. And so you go to Mosaic now and it is literally the hippest place you will go in Los Angeles. Like you've got the hottest, trendiest crowd with the, with a design that is right out of Etsy. And, um, you know, it's just as, as hip as it gets, you've got the fanciest coffee flown in from wherever, you know, it's just, it's very quintessential. How do we attract 
the coolest crowd more so than anything else. And, uh, and I even saw it kind of with the people, the, the, the main pastors of the church uh, went from when I was there even, it was a cool church, but they still essentially looked and dressed like cool 50-year-old people. And now you see a lot of them and you'll go on like Instagram and it's as if they bought all their clothes from Hot Topic and 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 borrowed stuff from Justin Bieber. And you're kind of like, wait, <laughs> that person's like 65 years old. This is a really odd thing to see, but they're just so almost desperate to stay trendy and relevant. And yeah. And then that was definitely a little bit um, unattractive to me as I got older. Yeah. Just seeing it chase that particular dragon of, sure. of youth culture and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So that's where you started to feel just sort of more disenchanted with, well, with that. Well, I, I think I also, I mean, just, you know, I don't think it had as much to do with Mosaic. I think just as I got older, I started to to read more about all kinds of religions and all kinds of you know, stuff that I didn't, like, I didn't grow up learning about evolution. You know what I mean? That wasn't, that was like a sin being taught at my school. So there was so much stuff that, uh, you know, being an adult on my own now, not in the bubble that I grew up on with a wife who didn't grow up that way. Um, I all of a sudden just kind of like more had my eyes open to the rest of the world and the history of religion. And I read lots of books on kind of like who wrote the Bible and all kinds of just trying to trying to like learn more about this thing that I kind of grew up believing. And I think it more, if anything, that kind of research more made me just ask questions all the time. And, um, and that probably really started to just put me on, you know, kind of where I'm at right now, which, um, which we could talk about more later. But I think I would just, you know, if somebody were to ask me if I'm a Christian or not, I think my answer would not be yes, but my answer would just be honestly, I, you know, I think the term agnostic gets, uh, I think the term agnostic gets a really bad rap because a lot of people for some reason put it right there with atheist. Um, and they're very different to me because an sure. atheist obviously is someone who says there is no God. Um, and an agnostic is obviously somebody who just says they don't know. And I, I find it hard to imagine not asking questions about any of this stuff. So I, right. I, I'm firmly in the, in the party of I don't know at right. the moment, um, which yeah. I'm kind of okay with. <laughs> oh, for sure. And I think that's entirely valid. If people, you know, feel that question to me, which a while back had a, a bit of more interest to me than it does now, which is the question, are you still a Christian? But at this point, I think a statement of non-belief is almost as binding as a statement of belief to me. So I'm totally in that same sort of camp, mm -hmm. you know, of like being okay with saying that I'm agnostic, that I have to acknowledge my, my own sort of past. I think everyone needs to, um, and you inherit beliefs and you decide which ones to continue to believe in, which ones you don't. Yeah. And, and I find it, it, it's weird because I'm 37 and it, I, I really feel like only recently, like the last couple of years, maybe I have felt, comfortable you know, saying that out loud in, in both conversation and in some sort of public forum like this where somebody from my high school could listen to it or something. Um, and, and it's weird that it took me that long to just, I'm not even saying there is no God. It just took me that long to even come out comfortably saying that I have no idea what, what, what there, I, I hope there's this, I like this aspect of Christianity. I think this a part, portion of it is fantastic and all these things. Um, but it's hard for me to ever really, unless 
unless just something physical happens, it's hard for me to imagine confidently saying, oh, I know exactly how this is going to go. You know, I think that's a testament to how seriously you, you've taken it. You know, to me, that means that, that you've put a lot of time into considering this and the fact that you are reticent to, to say that just, it acknowledges how much that prior belief meant to you. Uh, and I think well, that that's valid. And it's also, I mean, one of the things our movie kind of touches on is, is a general idea, not of, uh, not the idea of, of we don't make fun of belief in this movie whatsoever, but we do comment on the idea of believing in something blindly. And in this movie, it's not religion necessarily. It's my character actually is obsessed with a, a weight loss tea pyramid scheme, something silly and, <laughs> uh, and, 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 and whatnot. And Jason Alexander plays the head of this pyramid scheme, but uh-huh. it's definitely kind of some sort of an analogy for this kind of faith that my character in the movie has in this kind of businessman and this model of getting rich quick. Um, and, and, and when I eventually meet my hero, uh, we'll just say he's not exactly who we believe him to be. And, and I think that is, it was just like a way to, in a silly comedy version of it, infuse a little bit of depth or questioning because I do, I do think it's interesting. I've had a few conversations recently, maybe because of this movie with a few people that I grew up with and some of them uh, never left quite literally the school that like they work at the school that I grew up in this Christian school. And, and there's no, I don't, I don't hate on that at all. They're, they're awesome, great people, but it's interesting to talk to them because not to say that they haven't experienced the outside world because they're smart adults. Um, but it's just interesting to have that conversation with somebody who has kind of been told something since they were literally three years old by, by a certain group of people and then has basically been with those same people till they're now 37. Um, yeah. And it's just a very interesting, specific opinion to have versus mm-hmm. kind of going anywhere else and, and having close people around you that have very different beliefs, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. Going out into the world, <laughs> sort of slipping back into Christianese there. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Going back to the world. It, it does change you. It changes your perspective for sure. Um, well, you have a conversation with somebody who's Muslim, which a lot of these people have never had, and you realize that they have been told the same thing since they were three. Yep. And and to them, it is the exact same situation. Like yep. you, they look at at you and they say, um, "How could they possibly believe this? It's like this." And you're kind of looking at them like, "Ah, oh, they've got it all wrong because it's like this." But really, it's like both people since they were babies have been told this and there's really no way to ever change that until you kind of have a, a, I almost said come to Jesus moment, but that would have been almost (laughs) the opposite of what I mean. (laughs) It it is, it is true. All of that is part of like the socialization and what you're exposed to and to sort of segue into talking about like media and that sort of thing. One of the things that more conservative Christian evangelical places do is they create their own media that they don't have to go out. And uh, I worked in a Christian bookstore in high school and, you know, oh, we yeah. had those, we had the recommendation things. It's like, if you like Blink 182, try this band, uh, you know, all those different types of things that we, they create alternatives. And that's what, that's what your movie is about very much. So in that you're creating a Christian movie, uh, your characters are rather, was that something that that was a part of your uh, part of your upbringing too? Did you watch a lot of Christian movies or listen to a lot of Christian music? 
uh, not movies. Movies, I mean, is, I'm sure there were other Christian movies, but I, the one, you know, I knew, uh, I saw probably A Thief in the Night when I was on a lock, like an overnighter at youth group one year, um, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is got to be one of those movies that was made in like the 70s and just kept getting played at lock-ins for four years. <laughs> yep. um, and then I probably saw like the first, the Kirk Cameron Left Behind or something like that, but I, I didn't see a lot of Christian movies uh, growing up. I did uh, was very into the Christian music scene, specifically um, the kind of mid '90s Christian ska punk scene. I think that yeah. was kind of the first time I saw um, what, at the time, I considered to be great Christian art. And, and it was probably because my mom, you know, they all listened to more contemporary Christian music. My mom and dad, um, which I, as a you know, twelve-year-old, thought was totally uncool. And then all of a sudden MXPX comes out and it's like, whoa, this is Christian music. That's fantastic. You know, at the time. <laughs> and, um, and I got super into that scene. So I loved, you know, MXPX and squad five Oh and the insiders. And I could talk all day about that stuff, but, but, you know, we went to the Christian music festivals and, and cornerstone and creation. And, and I loved all that stuff. And then it was, it was really interesting because I started to see people I knew or knew, through friends um, who weren't having much success in secular bands make the conscious transition to essentially take advantage of that niche market and change to Christian bands and see all of a sudden them making a living at it. And and I thought that was just so interesting. Um, And then I later heard stories later, 15 years later in Los Angeles, I've got music producer friends that, that fly to Nashville all the time to record, you know, I won't, I, I won't name them, but I will say there's some like very high profile Christian bands or artists who, you know, are as, uh, for lack of a better word, they, they sin as much as a normal secular band sins mm-hmm. and, and love to party and, and are clearly doing this for the business side of it. And because they know that like their audience will support them almost no matter what in that world versus if they're in the mainstream world, they're all of a sudden competing with thousands of these, of these major bands. I found that all interesting. And then, and then I kind of saw it happen with the film industry after I was already in Los Angeles I think the first time it really got put on my radar was when the Kendrick brothers did um, Flywheel and they made, made this movie probably mid, mid late two thousands for, I don't know, $50,000. And the movie made a lot of money. And then they, they were, they were guys that worked at a church. They had the church fund the church, the the movie, uh, it made a bunch of money. All of a sudden they make, you know, fireproof with Kirk Cameron, courageous with Kirk Cameron. These are movies that are shot between one and $2 million and all of a sudden go on to make 20, $30 million. Um, and you could kind of see when that happened. And I'm sure there was other examples that I wasn't aware of. I was just specifically aware of those. You started to see other producers and studios notice this and say, Oh, we can make a lot of money because someone like my dad's church if God's Not Dead 3 comes out, it would they will rent out the theater, they will take vans of people to go see it, and all yep. of a sudden, almost no matter what, that movie will make millions of dollars. And that's when everything started in the movie world became so interesting to me. Yeah. I just found it fascinating. They they vote with their dollars, for sure. I remember to, with music, as you mentioned, like they're very lucrative. Third Day, years ago, was one of the most lucrative bands in America. Sure. And then... Skillet was apparently one of the few keeping that particular like type of hardcore 
uh, metal. I'm I'm probably way wrong in my genres. I'm sorry. Music. No, music that, that nails it. I just hadn't heard that term in a long time. <laughs> um, they were like sort of keeping that genre alive, and even people that weren't Christians were seeing them perform. Yeah. I remember when I was super on fire and evangelical in, in the late 90s and everything. I was super thrilled when there would be things like crossover hits and stuff. So, mm-hmm. and so whenever like a Christian movie makes it big, then it's like some sort of witness, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, and that's the most ironic thing about that. And I've, I've heard a few podcasts with certain Christian filmmakers that they, you know, are very open about this. Um, it's ironic that a lot of people see that as this great witness when everyone else knows that it, is the definition of preaching to the choir. No one is, no one's going, no, there's not a lot of secular people who watch secular movies and are not, not Christian at all, who go see fireproof and then find God. So you're right. clearly making these movies just for your audience, which, you know, to an extent, I, I understand that Disney makes movies for people who go see Disney movies, you know, yep. I can't totally hate on marketing. It's just, it's a little bit different when the result of that marketing, you're, what you're hoping for is to basically, convert them to your tribe or your belief system or whatever, converting someone in general, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Disney's not trying to get me to like, you know, believe that the mouse is going to make me go to heaven (laughs) and make the rest of my decisions in life based around Mickey's like point of view. So it's a, it's a little bit different, you know, maybe eventually, maybe Maybe, we'll get there. I mean that they're owning enough right now that that is likely down the road. We will all be at the church of the mouse. (laughs) Where did you start to develop this, the idea for this movie of making a comedy that has as at least part of it, whether it's lampooning or, or whatever sort of term you, you want to use, it's, it's, it involves the parodying the, the Christian movie industry. Where does this idea start for you and, and what led you to, to want to write this movie? Yeah, I mean, honestly, a lot of it is is some version of, of life imitating art in a way. Um, my partner and I, the guy who directed Faith Based, our first movie was a, a horror comedy that we did in 2016 called Fear Inc. And um, this movie, uh, we got really lucky. It premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival and went on to kind of play a lot of festivals and did really well on iTunes. And I think that we thought, um, oh, wow, as soon as this happens, we are about to be catapulted into the studio system and we're going to be doing a Marvel movie. And it's just like, you know, that's probably an exaggeration, but we did really think like a year from now, we will have a TV show on the air or we will be uh, creating a a very high profile studio movie. And for two years, we essentially uh, pitched scripts. We uh, sold a pilot. uh, We produced movies for somebody Mm -hmm. else. And, and all of those were great, but at the end of the day that hadn't happened. And so at one point I, I joked with Vince, I said, I think War Room actually had just come out maybe and made like $35 million. And I, I went to Vince and I said, we should just make a really bad Christian movie, get <laughs> Kirk Cameron to do it. And it will make enough money that we can then just fund these movies that we're pitching right now. And, um, and that started off as a total joke, but then it kind of like, you know, we kept going to, it became, it, 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 it went from a joke to essentially a pitch for a TV show that we originally kind of had this idea for. And we loved the first season of this pitch, but it ended in a way that we really loved the ending of the first season and kind of couldn't get past it. And so then we decided let's switch this to a movie and basically take the first season and and turn it into Mm -hmm. a movie. 
And, um, and that's kind of where the idea stemmed from, you know, life. Yeah. That's that's fascinating. Or opposite. At some point along this journey, you develop this movie, you get all these great actors to play parts in it. And then somewhere along the line, someone at Breitbart and Fox gets, get tipped off to this and, and you sent me, you sent me a video that that you released in, in lieu of a trailer. You actually released uh-huh. uh, the number, the the comments. Uh, you you and your and your partner reading the comments uh, yeah. from <laughs> that that came from this uh, this new the news of the of the movie coming uh-huh. out. Really, just breaking it into the conservative web. So, wh- what was that experience like for you? It was crazy. It's, it's crazy because it was crazy because this movie is kind of as small as a movie gets in the sense of like, don't get me wrong, we got lucky and, and have an incredibly talented cast and called in every favor in the book. So it looks great. The people who shot it shouldn't have been on a movie this small. Um, everybody kind of did this as a passion project, which is why it hopefully feels bigger than it is. But we shot this movie as low of a budget as a movie can really be shot. And so it's not that we didn't have high hopes for the movie, but we definitely were kind of looking at it like this tiny little indie project that we're all just excited to make each other laugh. And so on the first day of shooting, I think we had announced the project in general in The Hollywood Reporter, just saying that this movie is going to get made. And a few hours later, this Fox News article comes out saying that these guys are making this Christian bashing movie called Faith Based (laughs) and that these losers in Hollywood that can't succeed at anything else. So they have to make fun of Christians. And it was this whole thing. And I think more than anything else, our first reaction was like, Whoa, Fox news is talking about our movie. (laughs) Um, It's just like kind of funny. And then, and then I think right after Fox news picked it up, Breitbart picked it up. And then we didn't, for a few days, we didn't think to even look at the comments. And And then you realize like that, I'm sure the comment section anywhere is a, is a disaster, but like the comments on a Fox news article are, are out there, man. And, uh, and so we started to notice like each one of these articles would have 5,000, 10,000 comments of people just like everything from cursing us to hell to the, uh, the hundreds of comments about like, why aren't they making a Muslim mocking movie? It was, it was such, it was crazy. So when, um, it was kind of funny because what the video you saw, we premiered at a festival in January before kind of COVID, uh, took away festivals and, uh, we wanted to release something footage wise, but we wanted to save the actual trailer for the movie being released into the world. Mm -hmm. And so Tanner actually had the idea of, um, what if we show, you know, five seconds of footage and then cut to you and I reading these comments. And, um, it was funny cause my favorite, so we, we made this video, it went over really well. And the funniest part about it is we kept texting each other saying, I wonder if Fox or Breitbart will comment on this mm-hmm. trailer that's about Fox and Breitbart. And it didn't happen until the next day. And then the guy from Breitbart wrote this article and in the article, he actually said, I, I wasn't going to take the bait, <laughs> but I have to comment on this thing. And, and it was just so funny because he fully took the bait <laughs> and we were just imagining, we were imagining him like in bed that night, like tossing and turning over whether he was going to like write his article or not. <laughs> so very little had even been re- released about the movie besides. We hadn't even shot a oh day. You know, they didn't, nobody, nobody. The very idea that. of it was so 
yeah, the, the title, title was, was too much for, for them to handle and released all that. I'm sure that vitriol wasn't there before, you know, it was, <laughs> it was all fresh. No. no, Alex, Alex Jones strikes me as a pleasant guy most of the time. But. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, you, I mean, after you have this sort of maelstrom of crazy commenting, you actually get to work and you have all these wonderful actors as part of your movie, Jason Alexander, Lance Reddick. Uh, David Koechner, Margaret Cho, all these people, how did they respond yeah. to your script and and what was it like working with them to uh, make this movie happen? Man, it was it was incredible, man. I, I think I think uh, what was the best part about it, which which doesn't even start with those people, it kind of starts with some of the other actors in the movie was this entire thing grew and and happened more organically than any project I've ever been a part mm. of. So this started off, we basically decided we're not going to let anybody else have to tell us, give us the green light. We're going to basically make a, this movie on our phones with friends for like $10,000. Um, we'll improv the whole movie. It'll just be a fun little thing. And every person that kind of heard the idea that wanted to be a part of it kind of made it a little bit bigger. And then I decided to just write the script wrote the script, we start sending it out and everybody is just enthused about the project. And so kind of really naturally became bigger and bigger in terms of the actors and the and everything. But it really started off, I think what worked so well about it is so many of the cast you see in the movie, you know, there's kind of a group that's uh, our bar regulars where we all hang out and we all end up kind of getting into green screen suits and making this bad Christian movie. A lot of those people are working actors that are also real life friends of ours. And so we really tried to, you know, we shot it because of no budget. We shot at places that we had access to. We shot at my house, Tanner's house, my in-laws house, the bar that Tanner and I used to work mm -hmm. at, like all these things. And, and what's weird is that all of that kind of gave it an authenticity to it. Um, where all of a sudden it's like, we're hanging out at the bar that we really do hang out at with our real friends. And it's hard for that not to, um, feel natural. Um, and so then it was kind of like, we had this great energy and this great core group of people who were all, all just in it together. And then when, when all of a sudden those kind of names you, you gave started to say yes, and they got dropped in, it, it really just was such a great combination, you know, cause, um, but yeah, it was, and those people, everybody who, everybody who came out that weren't friends of ours like that, just, just blew us away with how generous they were and how, how obviously talented they are, which we already knew, but, um, they really just brought it, man. Like the, nobody, nobody was phoning it in. Nobody came out obviously on a, on a movie this small. I think what's great. No one is doing this for the paycheck. You know, no one said, Oh, I, I don't like the script, but they're paying me so much money that I'm going to come out and do this job. Mm -hmm everyone on a movie this small clearly wants to be a part of it. And I think that really shows in the movie because they, they really do care about it and they gave great performances and um, yeah. And then, you know, all of them also were just like a dream come true. Every, every person that you named was kind of a, a crazy story of, of them each being one, one of, if not our very top all time choices that we never thought would do this movie. And mm -hmm. suddenly, suddenly yeah. in the movie. Totally. 
brutally honest, if we set out to make a movie that was strictly to make money and we wanted to make as much money as we could, mm -hmm. we would have made a Christian movie. <laughs> we would have made A Prayer in Space. We would have made the movie that we're making within the movie. Um, you know, the minute we chose to make this movie R-rated strictly for language, but still R-rated for language, um, we alienated a demographic of that specific 85 million people you just said, um, because there are people who will not watch anything uh, where someone curses. Right. You know what I mean? Um, and so we're, we were very aware that like we're automatically just by us talking like real people talk, we are cutting off a certain amount of this audience. But at the end of the day, we set out, this is the first time I think with any project we've had where the pure, the, the entire intention of it, was to make a movie that we would want to see. And if we're the only ones that see it, that's kind of okay with us. But the hope is that there are other people like me who want this movie. And what that is, when I say this movie, I mean, we love movies like Wedding Crashers and old school and kind of like R-rated comedies that are, are obviously a little bit exaggerated in terms of their characters, but are at the end of the day, kind of they talk like my real friends talk in real life. Um, and we wanted to use the Christian film industry, which we do find to be a very interesting world mm -hmm. as kind of the backdrop for these characters' stories. So I think one thing that has even gotten conflated um, because of all the Fox News coverage is we didn't set out to make some sort of mean-spirited, scathing takedown of religion or even Christian movies for that matter. We more chose to use those as the backdrop for what was essentially our version of a, of a, of a heartwarming buddy comedy almost, you know? Um, and so at the end of the day, I think I just have to hope that I'm not the only one that would want to see that movie. And right. I, it's also like with, with movies this small, um, we don't have millions or even thousands of dollars in marketing budgets. So I think, if I were to predict our most successful version of this movie, like how do, what's the most successful I see this movie being? I think the thing about Saved, because you mentioned it again, is, is it's such a good example of like, for being a studio movie, Saved did not do very well when it came out, but it became a, a word of mouth situation between people like you and I. Um, Book of Mormon was the same thing, but with millions of dollars and a Broadway show. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I think yeah. if, if, Book of Mor if Book of Mormon was the size of our movie or of Saved, I think it would have taken some time for people to say, have you seen Book of Mormon? You know what I mean? Versus it just being blasted over the press. So I think, I think that's kind of the, the ultimate goal is, is that like, you know, maybe it kind of becomes this little word of mouth people, do you see faith-based? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's great. And I think uh, it has a very good, good chance of doing that because there are so many people to whom this will relate to without you know spoiling parts of the movie what's the premise of the movie sure as far as what the what the main characters are, are trying to establish here in faith-based yeah i mean you basically had these two guys played by myself and my kind of real life best friend tanner thomason um who essentially are in their 30s and haven't quite figured it out and one of the things i think you have a lot of movies out there that are coming of age stories that tend to be people in their teens or early twenties kind of finding themselves. And you have a lot of stories of people kind of in their forties or fifties going through a midlife crisis that are essentially asking, is this it sort of thing? And I think that there 
is this weird time period of life for a lot of people in their 30s where if you haven't kind of figured out what your necessary, for lack of a better word, purpose is, Mm -hmm. and you maybe you're seeing all the people around you start to get married and have kids and have career success. And if you haven't kind of figured that out, it can be a weird mental place to be in. And I, and I think that right off the bat was a headspace we wanted to tackle a little bit. And so my character in the movie is very much that. So my character is constantly like trying to make, trying to be successful, trying to make his dad proud of him. Uh, I'm adopted. Um, and I'm always going about that in kind of the wrong way. So I'm into get rich quick schemes. I'm into pyramid schemes. Um, and, uh, and essentially we, I, I, my character comes to the realization, uh, that a lot of these bad Christian movies starring Kevin Sorbo or Kurt Cameron, uh, make a whole lot of money. And so I, I kind of come up with this idea, uh, a scheme, if you will, um, to get my dad to fund, um, a prayer in space, which is the story of the first prayer ever to be prayed <laughs> in space. Um, but obviously, uh, yeah, um, we're two guys that don't know how to make movies and we're not even necessarily religious. And so it kind of becomes this sort of producers, Ed Wood, sort of like, will these, this ragtag group of people uh, succeed in making this terrible Christian movie? <laughs> um, and I, I'll leave it at that because I think the rest of it, it will be a spoiler in terms of will they make maybe the greatest Christian movie of all time? I don't know. That's a great premise. And I really like what you said about the 30s can be a odd space mentally if you've struggled. And, you know, there there are economic realities to contend with and we're not as far along as we'd like to be in our late 30s. I've seen some people mention uh, that there's almost a sense of like arrested development or maybe they mm-hmm. are catching up in a different way. I think that is one other way in which this might might appeal to to people uh, like me. <laughs> that's a that's a really interesting way to say it, and I and I uh, and I totally agree with that. I think there's this aspect of of coming out of evangel evangelicalism, um, and, and and man, arrested development is just a great way to put it because you are kind of like even some of the stuff we talked about earlier, whether it's uh, something as textbook as evolution or, or, or something more existential in terms of how to deal with life or something. There's definitely this kind of weird catch up mode that you don't necessarily feel like you should be doing right, right now. Yeah. One of my friends from my Christian college phrased it in a way that always comes back to me. Uh, his name is Nathan and he described it as uh, being sold a false bill of goods is how he, <laughs> is how he, how yeah. he put it, which, which it's some, and, and many parts of life, it gives you a framework that doesn't actually work in the real world. That's really interesting. And, and honestly, I have some of my, my sister is 10, my sister, Amy is 10 years older than me. And, um, I have some of my favorite conversations with her about all of this stuff because she actually works for a tiny Christian college in the Midwest uh, near you, she, near you. She works at Taylor university in Indiana. Yeah. And, um, and it's really interesting because she definitely like goes through a lot of the same questions and thoughts that I have and has me in her life. So she and I talk about this stuff a lot, but in a weird way, just in terms of her work environment, at least, you know, Taylor is, a, it's a way cooler, way better, uh, more forward thinking college than most and definitely way more than kind of how we grew up. Um, but she's still at least in a world of evangelical Christians. And and it's very interesting for us to have these kind of conversations because it's almost like 
she's thinking about the same things or, or asking the same questions, even 10 years older than me. So in her, her mid late forties, you know, so it's just a, it's something that I wonder if it just kind of happens throughout your entire life or at different times for different people. Like some people, some people, it obviously happens when you're 22. Yeah. Some people, maybe, maybe you're in your sixties and all of a sudden you're just kind of like, wait a second. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Yep. Yeah. But I mean, I think that's, that's such an interesting lens and it, it doesn't always have to be tied to age, but I think it's also super valid when it is. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Yeah. That's, that's fascinating. I went to Indiana Wesleyan and Taylor was the, uh, oh, was yeah. the more loosey goosey Christian, Christian school <laughs> <laughs> totally, <laughs> compared totally. to compared totally. like I wasn't allowed to watch rated R movies. Oh yeah. Those were the rules and everything at the college. Oh, yeah. at the college. Yeah. They had, Oh man. Wow. During my tenure there, they started to develop this approval list. Uh, so there was like a listing, which is you could watch this particular rated R movie that was approved by some sort of committee. Wow. And they included things like the passion of the Christ, uh, the <laughs> matrix and Braveheart. And then like the B list, which meant that you, Oh, also pie randomly by Darren Aronofsky. Interesting. And then the B list was things like the matrix reloaded because it had a sex scene. And, <laughs> and you wow. had to watch the B list oh with a, gosh. with a, some sort of school administrator and have a conversation afterwards. Oh my God, that is wild. I mean, that those were the rules, whether yeah. they were not strictly followed by the student population, but that was the expectation. No, Taylor, Taylor is not that way at all to their credit. And like Taylor was even in the news recently um, because they fired this, uh, this, this professor who did, who put a song on YouTube and it's like, I watched it. It's literally like this guy in his basement singing a song called Little Hitler. And the whole song is about like how, you know, he's basically trying to give this like uh, self-indulgent talk on existentialism. But what he's, what he's saying in the song essentially is like, there is a little Hitler in all of us. And like, you, you do something to me right now and like know that I'm thinking about doing this terrible thing to you. It was like the oh scariest. God. And he's like in his basement and I'm watching this and I'm like, this is the scariest thing. No one on campus is going to want to see this guy. And, uh, and they, and they fired him. And all of a sudden, like all these ultra conservative uh, websites are kind of like, were bashing Taylor for a while because they, they, they were like, this is what the song is really about. And like, you shouldn't have fired him for this, but it's like, this guy also had like a track record for doing all this oh my other stuff, but it was a Taylor. Taylor is definitely not, I, I don't put, I don't put Taylor in there yeah. with like Liberty, you know, or, or, or how you describe Indiana Wesleyan. That this was, you know, 15, 20 years ago now. So I'm, I don't know what, what rules still exist and what, sure. what don't, but, um, but nonetheless, it was, it was a interesting it was always fun comparing our different Christian schools and, and how <laughs> fun, maybe in air quotes, of how they, they uh -huh, acted towards uh -huh. um, towards their, their <laughs> student populations. Well, this has been super interesting to hear about this project. I'm sure that's a crazy time to release a movie, just given that theaters are essentially closed down or people don't want to go to them. Where are you releasing this movie and where can people mm -hmm. find it and rent it or buy it so that they can check your movie out? Yeah, man. Yeah, thanks. Um, uh, Faith Base comes out October 9th. I don't know uh, exactly when this podcast is going to air, but it's October 9th. Um, and it's basically going to be available anywhere that you can buy or rent a movie. So uh, 
iTunes, Amazon, all your kind of direct TV spectrum, Fandango, essentially wherever you would buy or rent a new movie, it'll be available. We're really encouraging people, no matter what the theater, the theater situation, literally we get a different email every week because of all the, all the COVID stuff. And so mm-hmm. we basically committed to just encouraging people to watch it safely in their home. So, um, yeah, basically anywhere you can buy or rent a movie, we recommend uh, making a night out of it at home. And, and honestly, uh, the only other thing I wanted to say was, um, if you listen to this entire conversation and you think faith-based does not sound interesting, um, I highly recommend to do the same thing with some other like small independent film, because, um, a lot of these conversations we're having about the Christian film industry are essentially people mm-hmm. rallying around them and supporting them with their dollars. And, um, and that's great. And that works for war room to make $30 million. But at the end of the day, if we don't support these independent original stories, um, all we will ever have is Marvel or sequels <laughs> yeah. or, you know, spinoff stuff or these Christian movies, um, and, or Kirk Cameron movies. <laughs> these are gonna be, you're either going to be Marvel or Kirk Cameron. Yeah. Those are your only two options if you do not support original stories. Um, and so I guess, yeah, I just want to say like, and I love Marvel movies and stuff, but I, I don't want to see a world where like there is no back to the future. You know what I mean? It's like, um, so yeah, so we'd love for you to check out Faith Based, but if, if it sounds terrible, then uh, uh, find another independent film and, and spend the three ninety nine. I think it really is up to the audiences to kind of save the film industry in a world because it's almost, I, I, hate, to, I hate to ever say it's unfair to Marvel or Disney, but at right. the same time, I can't blame them for like wanting to make money, be profitable movies. I have to, at a certain point, hope that the audience is the one that saves the movies by supporting original stories. 100% agree. It's difficult to bootstrap your own stuff and put things out there and it takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of work. And there's so much to it that a lot of people um, may not even be aware of. And it's incredibly laudable that that you had this idea for a movie, you did it, you're releasing it in a really difficult market, but it's still, it's, you're putting it out there and I'll be happy to hopefully send some people your way. Oh man. Thank you so much, man. Is there a website or anything else uh, where people can find this or like a social media account or anything for the, for, for you or for the, or for the movie? Oh yeah. uh, uh, The movie, if they go to faithbasedmovie.com is basically going to have all the links to, to buy or rent the movie, or they can search for it wherever they buy and rent movies. We also have a pretty active Instagram account at, uh, I think it's at the faith based film. And, uh, and I'm pretty much, I'm active on Twitter at Luke Barnett and I'm on Instagram at I am Luke Barnett. And I, um, I love these interactions. So it's like, don't ever, if anybody's listening, don't, don't, I love to talk about this stuff. So feel free to reach out and, and engage in a conversation, especially if you've watched the movie and, and loved or hated it. Awesome. Well, Luke, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you, man. 